You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. All right, let's celebrate that. That's pretty cool, huh? Hey, good job, church. Uh, Missed being with you guys last week, but we had a great time down in Mexico. I want to take just a moment to thank everybody that was involved in that. First of all, thank all of you who gave financially towards our HOPE offering in this last year because it helps us to provide the scholarships and the extra supplies needed to build those homes. Um, As well, I want to thank those that were organizers in that. Gavin Robertson was a key uh, worker in that uh, ministry. Um, Leslie Rice, my beautiful wife, she did an incredible job. So let's thank those two real quick. Thank you very much. Um, The rest of you, would you stand up? Those of you that decided to go on the trip, would you stand up just for a second? You kids, uh, teenagers, adults, uh, you went on the trip. Uh, We had 60 people that were a part of that uh, trip. Uh, That trip is growing. And so uh, if you really found that an inspirational video, I'd encourage you to join us. Uh, That's how we want to spend our spring breaks uh, at this church. And uh, thank you all for giving. Thank you all for serving. And thank you all specifically for going. Let's celebrate them just for a moment. This morning what I want to do is I want to give you an update on the other mission works as well. Uh, In Poland and in Romania, we've developed some partners uh, to help with the refugee crisis uh, with the Ukrainians. Uh, You need to know that God cares tremendously about all people. However, those that are a part of his family are those who have prayed to receive Jesus Christ as Lord. And uh, make no mistake, Satan is on the attack for Christians worldwide. Uh, The Ukrainians make up the largest Christian uh, uh, group of individuals in all of Europe. And they're the ones that are running for their lives and uh, in hiding and seeking shelter from um, uh, Putin's bombings and the war. Uh, Today, what I want to do is give you an update. Uh, This is from our partner in Poland, from Marek Kucharski. Um, You can see these are, this is the heart of the young generation there. Um, They are uh, crying out for help. And um, here's an update from our partner in Poland, uh, from Marek Kucharski, who's the president of the Evangelical School of Theology in Wrocław, Poland. I said that with confidence like I knew how to pronounce it, but I'm not sure I did it well. He says, Dear friends, thank you so much for your open hearts and your contributions. We're overwhelmed with many significant gestures from supporters and partners. You guys are making a difference in the lives of so many who are suffering from a cruel war. Um, There are literally multitudes of vulnerable seniors, mothers, and children, oftentimes in tears and still in shock, Uh, not knowing exactly what to do in a foreign country. Remember, millions and millions of folks are showing up in the the largest country where the influx is, is Poland. Uh, And God has ordained it that I would know a a seminary leader over there. They have changed everything with their seminary and uh, serving in the refugee crisis. So we have frontline partners um, that we're helping support. Uh, These are folks that are showing up in all places, Uh, They're crowding bus stations. I'll show you a a few more photos from our partners in Poland. Um, These are families that are eating on the go because they're running. Um, They're in travel. Um, Many uh, folks are showing up and uh, will continue to show pictures. They're sleeping in areas anywhere that they can find to avoid 
uh, being bombed and being killed. Oftentimes what you'll see is many of the fathers have stayed behind uh, back in the Ukraine and the kids and the wife and children are all uh, fleeing and everybody that uh, um, is working together, as many folks as, as, as uh, are possible to work together to help provide uh, shelter for these refugees. Um, this is a specific seminary in Poland, as I've said, and through your generosity and many others, um, they're partnering with other organizations there in Poland to provide hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of beds, medical supplies, food and water and shelter um, for these refugees. Many of these refugees move on and they go into other countries as well. Um, what I love about what's happening with the uh, Evangelical School of Theology in Poland uh, with Marek Kucharski, uh, a fellow friend of mine, um, Dallas Seminary and uh, Fellowship Associates in Little Rock, uh, they're providing not only short-term care, but long-term as well. Uh, additionally, we've got a partnership in Romania. Uh, I talked personally to this pastor. Uh, pastor is, uh, his name is Gigel. Uh, they're in Lugas, Romania. And uh, this is a local church pastor. Uh, they uh, have specialized over the years with developing Christian curriculum through Precepts Ministry, um, a part of a Baptist church there in Romania. Um, this man uh, has changed everything with his ministry and uh, their staff and their team uh, to help and assist in the refugee crisis. Just this morning, we found out news that he was loading up in a, in a church van and some other uh, vans to make a run for the border uh, to pick up refugees. Um, you need to understand these people are in dire straits. Um, this is a great pastor who loves people, and he's calling it a great blessing that he can assist in such a time of need. He says that he has so much joy in serving right now. Um, you're going to learn about that, what seems contrary to the human nature. When you begin to step out in extraordinary kind of faith and do things, you yourself get refreshed and blessed. Um, this pastor specifically shared with us a story of an in, uh, about 40 people that they initially took in, uh, Ukrainians that had fled into Romania, um, and they were hiding in the Ukraine for five days underground because they were, their area was being bombed. Um, what's happening is it's women predominantly and children that are fleeing Ukraine. The husbands, the fathers are staying back to fight. Um, much of the refugee crisis is without a father. Many of those fathers will never return to their families because they're fighting against the great evil in our world. What you need to know, when you give financially towards our hope offering, we've already sent finances to help support the effort in Romania. Our partner, Pastor Gigel, and the church's name, check this out, is named the Bread of Life. And uh, Jesus said that he is the Bread of Life uh, this morning, it just so happens I'm teaching about Jesus uh, t multiplying and giving bread for life for individuals. We're going to be looking in the Gospel of John, John chapter 6. But before we do, will you join me in prayer for our friends in the Ukrainian refugees, specifically in Romania and in Poland? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, if there's anybody traveling into these areas or willing to go, would you can challenge them, convict them, to lead them to do something? All of us need to do something, whether it's give financially, whether it's uh, continue and persistently pray, 
or perhaps to go or to perhaps open up space uh, for the refugees around the world. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Together we say thank you um, for the partners in Poland, uh, presidents uh, of the seminary, Marek Kucharski and his staff team. Uh, thank you, Lord Jesus, for Pastor Gigel and the work that he's doing there. We pray for your extraordinary blessings on them in all that they do for your name and your fame. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Specifically, I want to challenge you today is not to give financially to the hope offering today. I want to challenge you to give an intelligent gift above and beyond your regular giving on Easter Sunday. We're going to take an offering on Easter Sunday and invite anybody that shows up in our services. Uh, when we're in the courtyard, we'll pass the basket and invite anybody and everybody to either give a cash or check uh, towards the Hope Offering Relief Fund uh, so that we can continue to assist. Um, the Ukraine, Ukraine and Russia are one of the largest exporters for wheat and barley. Many uh, uh, industry leaders believe that we're on the verge of a major food crisis, a shortage, um, not only in Europe, but also here. Uh, what this means is, is this crisis is not going away. It, we're going to have a ripple effect in 2022 of, of the impact that's been happening. We are a global world, and right now it's the job and the responsibility of every Christian to stand up and stand strong and stand together. Amen? So come ready on Easter Sunday to give a financial gift above and beyond your regular giving uh, towards our hope offering. And together, we're going to continue to do a great deal of good. Uh, if you're traveling into Europe at any point in time in near any of these areas that we're talking about, we want to connect you with our partners on the ground. Some of you are international businessmen and women, and we want to help you and encourage you to serve as an ambassador for Jesus Christ on our behalf. So consider that and pray towards that. Um, we're going to need at some point in time boots on the ground over there assisting uh, if the Lord opens that door up for us and that need is continually persistent. For now, what I want to do is I want to jump into the Gospel of John. Let me pray for today's word one more time. Heavenly Father, we pray now for your word, the Bible, the eternal truth, to do some kind of work in us, and that it might not just stay there, but do something through us. We thank you, Lord, in the great examples of men and women that are sacrificing so much to serve you and to help people. And even in the testimony in the video of seeing men and women and kids involved in Mexico, Lord, we know a great deal of good comes and a great deal of blessing comes when we give together, serve together, all for your name and for your glory. In Jesus' name, use this time in teaching to motivate, encourage, inspire, reform, reshape, and renew us in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. John chapter 6 is where we're at. We're continuing in a series called uh, following Jesus off the grid. Jesus goes off the grid uh, to do a great deal of good. Um, I've titled this message, When Obstacles Become Opportunities. Um, as a Christian, you're going to face many obstacles. Some of you face health obstacles, financial obstacles. Increasingly, especially when you go to fill up your truck at the gas pump, you're feeling the obstacle, right? It is crazy what is going on. Um, but what I want to challenge you to see is that Jesus is going to help us understand that when you face an obstacle, with, when you trust Jesus Christ, you follow Jesus Christ, 
those obstacles can become incredible opportunities. Many of us as Christians need to change our mindset on the way we view things. Right now, there are Christians in the world that are clamoring, scared, terrified, and they are the chicken littles of our world. What we need is a brave, bold movement of Christians to bring the calm in the midst of the chaos. Amen? And so how do we do that? We do that through looking to God's Word for clarity in our crisis. In fact, I'm going to teach a three-week series uh, starting Easter Sunday called Clarity in the Crisis in dealing with what does the Bible have to say specifically about the prophetic uh, words that reassure us as believers. So I want to encourage you to get ready for that. This morning, let's look at Jesus challenging uh, his disciples to see the obstacle as an opportunity. It says this, in John chapter 6, it says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side, to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because, here's the reason why they're following, look what it says, they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus is a sensation. Uh, Jesus is drawing crowds upon crowds again because of the, the miraculous work that he is doing. It says in verse 3 that Jesus um, went up on a mountain, perhaps to get a little uh, time out, and there he sat down with his who? His disciples. How many disciples does he have specifically? Do you remember? Twelve. It says now... It, John adds, the Apostle John adds, he says, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Uh, the reason why I think he inserts that is because there was what's called messianic expectation, perhaps a hope of a deliverer. Every time the Jews celebrated the Passover, they're remembering the great deliverance that um, God gave to the Israelites through the leadership of Moses, who was the greatest prophet. Um, and then here comes Jesus. He's a deliverer as well. So there's expectations, perhaps, that there is a deliverer, a somebody who can relieve them from the bondage of Rome. Verse 5, we, here's what happens with Jesus. He's lifting up his eyes, it says, then, and seeing a large crowd was coming towards him. In other gospel accounts, this event is recorded in all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. By the way, it's the only uh, miraculous event that's recorded in all four gospels. It's so unique. Jesus looks to this crowd like a, a sheep without a shepherd. He's got great compassion on the crowds. Jesus says to somebody, who is this person? It is Philip. He says, where are they to buy bread so that these people may eat? Uh, Jesus knows the answer. Uh, the Apostle John clarifies this. Look in verse 6. He said this to what? Help me out. To, to what? To test him. Um, God will put you through a test at times to see if you're going to follow him, if you're going to be faithful or faithless. It says, for he himself knew what he would do. And then Philip, asked, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them just to get a little. In other words, uh, Jesus asked Philip. Some people say, well, why did Jesus ask Philip? I think Jesus asked Philip because Philip needed a faith test. He, he needed to be strengthened in his faith. Um, Philip is going to go on to serve the Lord greatly, but he needed some encouragement. But unfortunately, Philip does not pass the test. Instead of looking to Jesus Christ as the solution to the problem, uh, he looks to financial resources. 
How many of you, when you get in trouble uh, in life, um, one of the first things that you do is look to see if you can fix it with money? Would you raise your hand? Be there honest with me. That's me too. If I've got some kind of financial challenge or whatever, I want to know how much money do we have? What can we do? Our first default should never be how can we fix our problems with the money? How can we go to the Lord and then ask him what he wants us to do? These guys had Jesus, the CEO of the world who owns it all right next to them. And the first thing they do is they turn towards money. Um, He says 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. 200 denarii would be enough of wages of six to eight months worth of wages. Uh, Philip turns to uh, money as a perhaps a remedy to the challenge that they're facing. And then look what happens. Another disciple steps up. It says this, verse 8. He says, one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, hey, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Do you hear the concern there? Uh, Andrew is Simon Peter's brother. Um, and he does a good deal that he goes out into the crowd. He meets a little boy who has a, a couple of fish and then five barley loaves. And uh, he brings it to Jesus. But he, notice that response on the very end. He says, what are they for so many? It's a huge problem. Uh, many of us face large problems in life. And we don't know how in the world God is going to deliver us from this challenge or this obstacle. Um, Andrew, though, just so you know church history on this, Andrew goes down as a a great person who brought people to Jesus. He was trying to solve the problems constantly, trying to help people. In one account, he brings folks that are uh, outside of the Jewish faith to Jesus Christ so they can kind of connect with Jesus and know Jesus. Here in this scene, he brings this little boy to hopefully be a part of the solution Andrew goes down, I found it really interesting in research, is that he goes down as the patron saint through church history to the Ukraine, to Romania, and to Russia. Legend has it that Andrew goes out after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and preaches the gospels and plants churches all throughout Europe. And legend has it that he went into Scotland and preached the gospel there too. Later, church history tells us that Andrew is crucified Um, but not in the same way that the Lord Jesus was crucified. He had his cross tilted. They gave him that request. And today, if you look at the Scotland flag, it is a sign of Andrew's cross, but it is tilted. And many have said that God used that in his sovereignty because it is like a multiplication sign to show of the exponential impact that his life has on the legacy behind him. Andrew goes down in history... He's turning to a kid for help. He could have turned to the Lord, but at least he's trying. Let's continue to see what's going to happen here. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. He tells them exactly what to do. He says, now there was, uh, John notes, there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Um, If you read in the other gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Those are the synoptic gospels. Um, They record as well, and they add some comments to it that the 5,000 men were just the men being counted in this this account right here. But this does not include women and children. And you and I know where there's men, oftentimes there's women, and when you have men and then you have women, you oftentimes have children. Uh, Many people would agree that there's probably 15 to 20,000 folks here. 
And what Jesus does is he has them sit down in a comfortable place. And so they sit down, about 5,000 in number, the men. Then look what happens in verse 11. Jesus then takes the loaves, and when he had given thanks, that was it. There's the miracle. There's no lightning bolt, no voice from heaven. Uh, uh, there's no uh, enormous amount of bread and fish flowing from heaven to earth here. But it's a simple miracle. It says, John records, Jesus then took the loaves, the five loaves the boy gave, and the two fish. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they, help me out, they what? They wanted. This is an all-you-can-eat buffet. Imagine how good this would be. Uh, this is fish and crackers. These are unfallen fish. They've never gone through the curse of all creation. This is straight fish from heaven. This would be the best kind of food you could ever imagine. Um, the, the bread is more like crackers, and then the fish would be more like sardines. And you're saying to me, I do not like sardines, but there are some here who love sardines. Right now, I need to know, who is it that loves the sardines? Would you raise your hand? There we go. Just don't eat them before you come to church, you know. I, I do too. Every year um, when we go hunting in, in a remote area, we'll pack up food and we'll take sardines. And my family always says, Ryan, when are you going to quit eating the sardines? I'm like, I don't know. It's protein, you know. Um, this little offering of the boy is now multiplied. Verse 12, it says, uh, And when they had eaten their fill, very clearly, again, clarifying, this is a miracle. This is not everybody just sharing their lunch. Uh, there was enough for everybody. He told his disciples, look what you're going to do. You're going to gather up the leftover fragments. How many of you love le leftovers? There you go. Uh, this is your first to-go box plan right here. It says that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled the 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves and left by those who had eaten. Uh, many commentators, scholars, thinkers, preachers, teachers have made a lot of, uh, taken up a lot of space to advocate for a big idea that this represents the 12 tribes of Israel. I think it's far more pragmatic. How many disciples were there? 12. How many baskets are there? Jesus cares for his disciples. Hey, go get the leftovers. You got enough, not just for today, but for tomorrow too. Um, we see a good Lord at work here just taking care of the needs of folks. Verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, this is what they said. They said, this indeed is the prophet, indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. It's messianic times. This guy's greater than Moses. Moses did some pretty cool stuff. And when God provided manna and quail from heaven for those that were hungry, verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force, this, they want Jesus to be king, to make him king. Jesus, what does he do? He withdraws again to the mountain by himself. And a note to self is Jesus is not going to be just a king for people. He's, a, he's not just going to be enter into any kingdom. He has a kingdom, but it's according to God's kingdom plan. There is no kingdom without a cross. Uh, Jesus is following in divine step in authority uh, with the plan within the triune uh, Godhead. So we see later after this event, what I find interesting is that a, there's a record in Mark's gospel, basically that the, the disciples start complaining. 
And they're complaining about food, complaining about not having enough food. And in Mark's gospel, it records again, um, I'll just read it to you. He says, uh, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened, having eyes and do not see, and having ears do not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And then they say to him, 12. Um, the point is, is that the disciples struggled constantly with believing in Jesus Christ. You would think that they would believe, but remember uh, their examples. Sometimes uh, actions speak louder than words. Their actions were, instead of turning to the Lord for the miracle and the provision of feeding the 5,000 men and the 20,000 men, women, and children, um, they don't turn to Jesus Christ as the solution. They turn to normal, natural things. Let me give you three responses of what I call uh, faithless disciples. Um, and by faithless disciples, I would say um, there's application for you and me here. All of us uh, have faith at some level if we believe in Jesus Christ, some more, some less. In this season, in this time in American history and world history, we're going to be challenged to have more faith, not less faith. Um, there's folks in our world and in our church and in our businesses, in our families, what I call the problem pointers, the chicken littles, the uh, pessimists, or the scarcity thinkers. These disciples kind of fit those categories. Uh, they didn't think there was enough. They thought very small. They were afraid to take risk. And here are three responses that I want you to identify in your own life if you fall victim to this. Here's what happened in the faithless disciples. Number one, they said there's not enough time. There's not enough time. Now, John's gospel doesn't include this. Um, John's gospel doesn't mention the time issue near as much, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke include the time issue that the disciples said, we can't feed all these people because there's not enough time. Look what it says in Luke 9, 12. It says, now the day began to wear away and the 12 came and said to him, hey, why don't you just send the crowd away to go to the surrounding villages in the countryside to find lodging and get some provisions for we are in a desolate place. Their excuse was, Lord, there's not enough time. We can't feed all these people. We don't have uh, the time of the day. It'd take forever. That's a common response to many of us uh, when we're struggling with an obstacle. Um, we think there's not enough time. Most of the people that went on the Mexico missions trip told me their hesitation was, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough vacation days. I don't have enough time to do this. I'm super busy. Um, it's a very common excuse. Um, and then here's what we see a second excuse is for all of us. There's not enough money. Many of us, when we come into a major obstacle or challenge in life, uh, we, we immediately count how much money we have to solve the problem. This is exactly what Philip did. If you look back in your scripture, it says that Philip answered and said, hey, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough to feed and give these folks just a little bit. In other words, what Philip was saying is, Lord, we don't have enough money. There were many people that contributed to the ministry of Jesus Christ, and they didn't have enough money. Uh, Judas was the treasurer, and probably Judas was putting his hand in the bag at that point in time, uh, stealing. But the answer is, Philip said to him, 200 denarii, that's six to eight months worth of wages, wouldn't even feed this crowd. 
Thirdly, the, the response of the faithless disciples is this, is there's not enough food. Uh, you perhaps remember in, the, in, in John uh, chapter 6, verse 9, remember, uh, the response is, is uh, Philip, or Andrew, I'm sorry, brings this little boy, and it says, there's, here is a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? In other words, uh, Andrew's like, you know what? We do have something, but it's not enough. It's not enough food, Lord. Um, I think the challenges here for all of these uh, responses is that what the Lord Jesus really wanted from his disciples was for them to turn towards him and say, you're enough, Jesus. You changed water to wine. You took a paralyzed man who had been paralyzed for 38 years and you made him well. You could take a, a five loaves of bread and, and, and a couple of, of fish and multiply this thing and fix the whole problem. They had the CEO of the world sitting right next to them, teaching them, showing them, but they come up with problems and, and kickbacks and say it's impossible. There's not enough time. There's not enough money. There's not enough food. Uh, church, what I'm telling you today is you're going to have lots of excuses to be disengaged from God's work in the future. You're going to have a lot of excuses in your own life. Things are too expensive. I can't give financially to the church. Things are too hard. I can't take away time from work to serve the Lord. Things are too hard. There's a food scarcity. And I heard recently that there's going to be a food crisis uh, by good research indicates there's going to be a food crisis. Perhaps uh, first it'll be significantly in Europe and then it'll come to the U.S. Because Ukraine and uh, uh, Russia are major exporters of wheat and barley. There's already major concerns prior to the war and now significant concerns. There's going to be a massive shortage. So all of this to say is you've got two options. One is you can look back to the Lord and say, Lord, I need you to multiply and do something great because I can't do it on my own. Or you can try to fix it all yourself. Here's what I want to show you, five characteristics of faithful disciples, uh, faithful Christians. These are the folks in, in the world, faithful Christians that are full of faith and uh, they are the problem solvers, they are the optimists, and they are the abundance thinkers. And by this, I mean, as a Christian, you need to be full of faith that you serve a God who runs the entire world. He knows every hair on your head. He's planned and purposed you. And in a time such as this, in American culture and global history, it is now the role and the responsibility, perhaps more than ever, for the church to respond through giving, through serving, through being a light, speaking up and speaking out, being full of grace and full of truth. Here are five responses or five characteristics of the problem solvers, the optimists, the abundance thinkers, the faithful Christians. Number one is that you give thanks in all circumstances. Who does that in the account of John chapter 6, feeding of the, of the multitude? Jesus Christ does that. The very first thing he does when Andrew brings uh, the five loaves and the two uh, fish, he says, the scripture says that he gave thanks. Maybe you don't have a lot. Maybe you've got some big challenges, but you're still commanded to give thanks for what you do have. There's something really powerful about that when you just give thanks for what you do have. I'll tell you what I love about going down to Mexico and building houses. I come back and I say, thank you, Lord, for a home 
Thank you, Lord, for our church. Thank you, Lord, for my job. Thank you, Lord, for my children. Thank you that I can provide. Thank you, Lord. There's something healing and helpful for us all when we can give thanks no matter our circumstances. Here's what 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, and this is a word for you and me. This is a divine word for you and me that pray without ceasing. That means pray all the time. Talk to God. That's what prayer is, is you just talk to God. You just tell him, hey, uh, I, I give you thanks in every circumstance, in all circumstances, and this is what the scripture says, that's the will of God for you. This is the will of God for Christians, uh, perhaps now more than ever, so that we can be full of faith, strong in our faith, making a difference in the world around us, that we be full of faith in all circumstances, giving thanks. This Romanian pastor, I was telling you about Pastor Gigel, they are exhausted, but yet I hear from him, I have never had so much joy than now in serving the Lord. This is the will of God for you that you give thanks. Number two, I would challenge you is that you make your request known to God. This didn't happen in John chapter 6. The disciples do not come to Jesus Christ and say, I, would you please feed these people? You're the one who has all the power. You're the one who can turn water into wine. Surely, Lord, you could take a couple of uh, 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 fish and five loaves of bread and feed everybody. Um, they did not make their request known to God. You should make your request known to God. Jesus said, ask whatever you wish. It will be given to you. Jesus tells us in Matthew's gospel that you're to come to him when you're heavy, burdened, and weary, and that the Lord will give you rest. The Bible tells us that God is our refuge. The apostle James said, you do not have because you do not what? You don't ask. Some of you need to remember this verse and write it down and hold it in your heart. Philippians 4, 6 through 8, probably one of the most powerful verses for me in my life. Struggled with anxiety over the years and different challenges when I exert myself and push myself perhaps too much. Philippians 4, 6 through 8 is a powerful verse. I love it. It says this, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, and look at this, with thanksgiving. That means in everything that's going on, the anxiety you feel, and right now, the ones that should be the calmest are the Christians and all that's going on. Here's my encouragement to you, is in the chaos, you bring the calm. In the, in the crisis, you bring the calm. Why? Because the Lord himself is with you. God is sovereign and he is in control. Your eternal destiny is set, ladies and gentlemen. You have nothing to fear. Uh, nothing to fear as a believer in Jesus Christ. As a believer in Jesus Christ, the world that we feel right now, this is as bad as it gets. When we get to heaven, it's incredible. For those that do not know Jesus Christ, they ought to be very, very anxious right now. I do believe we are closer to the last days than ever before in world history. And this is why I'm going to address this topic uh, around Easter in the following weeks. But as a Christian, you do not need to be anxious. This is the verse. Do not be anxious about anything and in everything in prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. Tell Him what's going on. Tell Him the anxiety that you have, the stress that you have, the worries that you have. And then it says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is a promise. You make your request known to God, and he'll give you peace. 
That's a promise. So here's what I want to encourage you. Many of you just need to make your request known to God. God is with you. Ask, seek, knock, and the door will be open. Number three, I want to challenge you to get the right people involved. Some of you can't get through what you're going through because you don't have the right people around you. I loved how Jesus solved the problem, though. He got people involved. The Bible tells us is that he, and, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that he appointed his disciples to go out into the crowd in a sense, and then to break up the crowd into groups of 50s and 100. It's very practical. And then, uh, who gets another person involved that is a great uh, person to be involved was a little boy. A little boy with great faith. He sacrifices everything. He gives up his lunch. The mother must have done a really good job in teaching this boy to be generous. The father must have done a really good job with teaching this boy to be generous. But at the end of the day, that little boy made a decision. And Andrew had the perception to see that this little boy needed to be a part of the solution. Some of you need to get the right people involved with what you're dealing with. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 11:14, 14, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in abundance of counselors, there is safety. What I want to challenge you to do in a time such as this that we live in in our country and around our world is that you invite other people to be a part of your challenges. Uh, there's more pressure, financial pressure. There's all sorts of, of faith pressure and a religious pressure. There's all sorts of different challenges that we're facing, perhaps that we've never felt before, political pressure, educational pressure. Get the right people involved in your family. Get the right people from your church involved, pastors, leaders, community group leaders, in your businesses, consultants, in your schools, professors, counselors, teachers. Get the right people involved. And then I think in that, you can find out that they've been through it before you. If you're, if you're looking for help to overcome an obstacle, when you find those that have been there before you, you sure have a better way to navigate through it. Number four, I would challenge you this, is to give what you can't afford to give. This is exactly what happens with a little boy. He gives his entire lunch. And all throughout Scripture, it's noted and highlighted those that give not out of their abundance, but give out of their innocence and their poverty and their lack of. Uh, Jesus notes the woman uh, who is a widow. Uh, she gives all that she has in the temple uh, to the Lord's work. And the rich people come by and they give, but Jesus notes for us and he says, they gave out of their surplus, she gave out of her poverty. She's the one that will go down in, in history as the one more generous. What I want to challenge you in times ahead, give what you can't afford. Some of you say, I can't afford to give up some time. My work's too busy. I got too many pressures. Here's the best thing you could do is give time away anyway. Slip away for one hour and go make a difference. Some of you say, I can't financially afford to do this or do that. My encouragement is take a step and give something. The Bible tells us that we're to make a decision and give what's in our heart to give, not in our head to give. That's what the scripture says, that you give according to what the heart is prompting you to give. But I want to challenge you to give what you cannot afford. This is the example we see. This is what we saw in Mexico too. When all these individuals say, I couldn't take off work, I couldn't do this, but they did it and God's provided. Lastly, I would challenge you in this is trust in God's extraordinary provision. Trust in God's extraordinary provision. We saw that with Jesus Christ. Uh, he challenged his disciples. Do you see, basically, they fed everybody. 
and there was still leftovers. All throughout Scripture, there's a challenge for us to go out on a limb, if you will, to stretch our faith and to do what seems impossible and let God provide. All the disciples had to do is turn towards the Lord and say, you provide. You do an extraordinary work. As believers, that's our challenge for us, is that we're to give, we're to serve, and we're to trust that the Lord can do extraordinary work. I want to challenge you, here's your take-home truth, is this, is that when you follow Jesus Christ, your obstacles become more like opportunities. So you should change your thinking and the way that the world is working and not say, poor me, but say, lucky me. God has got me here in this season, in this time, to stand strong, to be together, to make a difference. When you follow Jesus off the grid, when you trust Jesus off the grid, obstacles now become an opportunity. And this is where the real adventure begins. Jesus says, I came to give life and to give it to the fullest. And you and I know that when sometimes when we go through really great difficulties, those become our greatest testimonies. Those become our memory markers, our mile markers, where we remember just how great God is. So I want to challenge you to live in the faith zone, to trust God in your journey. And I'm warning you, in a sense, that things may get harder, but things can be better all the way through. And it is the role and responsibility of all of us to follow Jesus, no matter what obstacles we face, and to see them as opportunities I had a young kid tell me recently about a challenge that I was facing. A teenager said, very mature, uh, well, Pastor Ryan, that sounds like you're going through a real hardship. God must really love you. I said, wow, that's pretty good theology, that God would entrust me with a trial to shine him through it all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that we would live out our faith a little stronger, a little louder, a little more um, brighter. Uh, might we be full of faith and not faithless? Might we not turn to our immediate uh, human resources, but turn towards you as the ultimate resource? In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.